Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andrea Show. Thanks so much for being with me here today on Tuesday, June the 9th. Glad to be back here with you at this time after moving into the afternoons for the past couple of workdays here, but glad to be back now at the noon hour. On today's show, the city of Kamloops is looking to spruce up the garbage bins on MacArthur Island, and it is calling on local artists to start coming up with some designs. Going to be chatting more about that in just a little bit. Gas prices in Kamloops jumped about 11 cents yesterday afternoon, and many stations are now selling fuel for around $1.16 a liter. Our newsroom caught up with a petroleum analyst from GasBuddy.com, so I'll be visiting that conversation here in just a little bit as well. And to end off the show, I'm set to be joined by the president of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce. We're going to be talking a little bit about how our local business community is handling the reopening process. Of course, we are now three weeks into phase two as of today. And we'll also take a look at the issue of minimum wage, which of course went up at the beginning of the month to $14.60 an hour. But to begin today's show, while well, Thompson Rivers University is the first in North America to offer an international credential transfer based on open educational resources that are available free online. It is also among the first in the world to recognize microcredit transfers towards a university-level qualification. To talk more ab about what exactly this means, I am joined on the line by TRU's Associate Vice President of Open Learning, Don Poirier. Don, how are you doing here today? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for asking. So maybe just start by getting me a, a quick rundown of exactly what this means here for Thompson Rivers University. I mean, being the first in North America is pretty awesome for anything. Um, and this is, you know, looking to offer those international credential transfers based on this open educational resources. So what exactly does this mean, first and foremost? Uh, well, first off, I think it's important to understand that to be first, we have to be a little careful. There are many institutions in, in North America that are working hard uh, towards bringing unique uh, delivery and educational opportunities for students. Uh, but we are first in this transnational part, a partnership through Open Educational Resources Universitas, or OERU. Uh, what this means for us uh, specifically is first and foremost a proof of concept. Um, there have been a number of universities around the world working diligently, trying to come up with a way how we can work together proactively to offer courses for students uh, based on open educational resources, which means for students themselves uh, a greatly reduced cost uh, for accessing quality education. Uh, TRU specifically, and here speaking about the open learning uh, division, is that this is um, actualization of our mandate, why we are here. It is the reduction of, bar of barriers. Uh, for not just the citizens of, of British Columbia, but, but beyond. Um, organizationally, I think it's also important because um, it helps us build our capacity. It ha it's forcing us to do new things. Um, it might be the same mandate, but thinking our way through, um, how, how can we be responsive to uh, ever-changing needs? Um, how can we build our processes uh, to meet the, the demand we're seeing, not just within BC, but, but around the world. Now, when we're talking about, you know, this specifically, it's looking at students taking free courses in small blocks or micro courses, if you will. Can you explain what a micro course is? What exactly does that mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's no uh, universal consensus on on, uh, on actually what, what these things are, but 
in our instance, I think most people are familiar with the traditional three credit course model when they go to a college or a university, which is based upon how many hours they're going to be working for how many weeks or months. Um, a micro-credential is a subunit of that three-credit course. So in this case, we're talking about a typical three-credit course um, narrowed down into one-credit units. Um, and the reason why this is, is seen as important because it adds to the flexibility of educational offerings for, for students. Um, even before this, we've seen uh, within BC and Canada, uh, students maybe only needing a specific type of knowledge that they can access. So maybe they, they don't need or they don't want to engage in a full three credit course, but micro-credentials are focused packaged units of, of knowledge that they can uh, take uh, and use, whether academically or professionally. So would you say that this maybe provides a lot more flexibility to learners because they don't have to you know, lock themselves into that, that three credit course? Absolutely. I think um, before uh, becoming the head of, of open learning here at TRU for about 10 years, I headed up a small department that went across Canada uh, developing formal relationships, whether it's with government, other post-secondary institutions, nonprofits, what have you. And over the past 10 years, um, one of the things that I've continuously noted is the need for flexibility. Um, our modern lifestyle uh, doesn't allow us the same um, opportunities to, to approach education in a linear fashion. The shifts in, in the economy and the needs of employers uh, just is continuous. And so we, we are dealing primarily with people that are struggling to find the time and the opportunity to meet their educational goals and sustain some sort of a balance in their life. Okay, and you know, this is talking specifically about this Open Educational Resources Foundation, which was established here in 2011, um, and, and it talks about how this is really something that is in place across five continents, right? So all five continents that we'd be talking about, uh, you know, for the geography buffs out there. So and what kind of opportunities does that mean for people who are taking these micro courses and are trying to, you know, get some university credits through this type of a program? What, what kind of opportunities are there for them uh, when we're talking about this, you know, really uh, global partnership? Yeah, I think the original vision um, was to target those areas of the world that that people really didn't have a realistic opportunity to engage in formal university level um, education. Uh, the citizens of British Columbia and Canada gen uh, generally are served quite well. I mean, we have an established post-secondary system. We have very good colleges to meet industry needs. We have universities that are top in the world when it comes to research. Um, but there are parts of this world, uh, whether we're talking uh, areas of Southeast Asia or Africa, that, that really um, they don't enjoy the same privileges as we do. So the, the original conception was to uh, give the opportunity to these people and help them get academic credentialing or credits from recognized universities around the world. Um, and so what, what the hope is, as we can start to build our credential base uh, where we can recognize the work that these students have done, 
then it would really give them an opportunity up in life for their own professional and academic development. And one of the things, too, to highlight, I think, out of this is, you know, a lot of this work is going to be done online. And when we're talking about, you know, the world we're currently living in, right, we're living with COVID-19, we're living through a pandemic, and that seems to be almost the the new normal, at least for the time being, is a lot of our our schoolwork and our, you know, just uh, work in general is being done in a virtual way. So, uh, you know, is this something that maybe could be more attractive to people given, you know, the times that we live in and, and the fact that, this is almost something that people can expect on a more regular basis is to have more online virtual learning. Uh, certainly the current pandemic has, has showcased um, the opportunities that online learning afford. Um, but it's also highlighted some of the disparities in society as well. So here I'm talking about the digital divide where people may not have access right. to, to technology, um, let alone power. So, I mean, it's, it's not a panacea, but I think it does provide an opportunity uh, to individuals that would not otherwise have that opportunity for, for self-improvement. Um, I also think, though, that this current situation is encouraging institutions to think outside of their own boxes how can we provide educational um, experiences, including supports for, for our students? How do we uh, offer what was traditionally a face-to-face encounter in a lab? Um, are there any ways that we can avail ourselves? And again, I think that um, this is going to make institutions stronger, ultimately, because the needs that, that learners have been experiencing for quite some time now has been happening well before the pandemic. Um, So I think that it's going to serve all learners well. Awesome. And I'll get you out of here on this, Don. But for those who are hearing this and those who are interested in, you know, taking part in this, uh, how do they go about doing so? Well, uh, you can go to the OERU.org website. Um, uh, Our friends in in New Zealand have spent a great deal of time making it very user-friendly. And all the information there about registration, uh, getting recognition for the courses you have taken, and next steps, it's it's laid out quite quite well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Don. Really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. That was Don Poirier, Associate Vice President of Open Learning at Thompson Rivers University. And again, TRU is the first in North America to offer an international credential transfer based on open educational resources available free online. Again, it's the first formalized step where students have the opportunity to take sufficient courses through Open Education Resources Universities, or OERU, to get a credential. TRU started with the Certificate of General Studies, and the intent now is to go on to the Diploma and then Bachelor's Degrees as it builds the course reservoir through OERU. Are you all right? Well, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, I'm going to be talking a little bit about gas prices as well as take a look at some new artwork that may be on its way to Mac Island soon. So, stick around, and the Jeff Andrea Show will be back after this. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. Thanks so much for being with me here on Tuesday, June the 9th. Now, of course, gas prices, 
They went up about 11 cents per liter yesterday afternoon to around $1.16 here in Kamloops. Why? Why did that happen? What can that be attributed to? Well, our newsroom caught up with Patrick DeHaan, a petroleum analyst with GasBuddy.com, to talk a little bit about why. Well, as we know, uh, prices in Canada tend to move lock and step very quickly. They may hold at a, a level and then bump up within a few weeks. And so it looks like we've had another step up uh, across uh, Kamloops with prices going to about $1.17 per liter. Uh, a lot of the reason is that uh, Canadians, Americans, continuing to increase the amount of driving they do, filling their tanks, demand for gasoline has gone up. Uh, and oil prices uh, accordingly have gone up. In fact, uh, in Sunday night trade, they hit briefly $40 a barrel for West Texas Intermediate crude oil, uh, which is perhaps good news for some Canadians in the oil patch. But, of course, that does mean higher gas prices for thousands coast to coast in Canada. And, Patrick, if we look back to about a year ago at this time, you know, we were somewhere in the dollar forty-five a liter range. So when you see gas go up from $1.05 to $1.06, I mean, gas prices went down dramatically when the pandemic started. So is this maybe a bit of a return to normal, if you will, right now? That's exactly it. Uh, the economy is slowly mending and demand is slowly going back up. Um, of course, it's tough to remember uh, for many that we were paying uh, over $1.40 per liter a year ago. Uh, and, of course, you know, as prices go up, we're more concerned with the fact that prices are back over $1 per liter now, not remembering that, you know, we're still far lower than a year ago. But all of what's going on with prices having gone down and now starting to go back up is related to demand fluctuations because of the coronavirus. So what, what kind of predictions can you make now for the near future? Are we going to potentially stay at this level for a while? Um, you know, can we expect prices to continue to rise as we do have more of a return to that quote-unquote normal? Like what, what kinds of predictions can you make at this time? You know, it's tough to paint an accurate picture at this point because so much of where gas prices will go is going to be contingent on the whole coronavirus situation. Um, as, as we stand here, uh, demand has rebounded. Um, oil prices are up. But, of course, there's a lot of interference, if you will. Uh, OPEC recently extending production cuts. That has lent support to the price of oil. Uh, but at the same time, Saudi Arabia uh, signaling that after June they will increase output. So that may cause oil prices to drop. And that could keep us from moving up considerably. Uh, I do think that over the course of the summer, uh, where we go with prices is going to be unusual. Typically, gas prices in Canada peak in the early uh, summer or late spring and then slowly decline over the course of the summer. This year, due to the coronavirus, I think we started very low and we will continue to move up as demand rebounds over the course of the summer. So um, I would say don't be surprised if by the end of the summer prices are 15 to 25 cents a liter higher, potentially, if things uh, improve significantly, uh, but there may be a pause in prices over the next six to eight weeks uh, contingent on if Saudi Arabia does increase production. There's a lot of different strategies going on right now. Uh, Saudi Arabia doesn't want oil prices to go up too much. That would incentivize Canadian and American producers to get back online, and that's something that it's hoping to avoid. And Saudi Arabia, they would be providing to all of the spot markets in the States? I mean, you're talking about such a force in oil production that if Saudi Arabia increases oil production, it would have a near global effect on the price of oil. So uh, that's why Saudi Arabia, Russia are very closely watched. They are some of the biggest producers. Uh, and right now, Saudi Arabia's strategy, of course, 
uh, is to have oil prices high enough where they can satisfy their GDP, uh, their revenue potential, uh, but low enough where American producers don't quickly get back into the game after having shut down. So uh, it's a very delicate balancing act that they're going to have to move uh, forward on that that could prove very difficult uh, to achieve. All right, there you go. That was uh, Patrick DeHaan from GasBuddy.com, a petroleum analyst there with the website. Now, I remember not too long ago here when I was sitting there putting gas in the tank at less than 90 cents a liter. Oh, what a nice time that was to be filling up. But it looks like that type of market is now a thing of the past, and we won't be uh, you know, expecting anything along those lines here as we move forward. More of a return to normal, if you will. And, of course, just to reiterate that uh, yesterday afternoon, gas prices went up from about $1.05 a liter here in Kamloops to $1.69. So basically $1.17 per liter. Quite a bit of a difference there when looking back, not just even a couple of months ago. And now we're getting closer to that, uh, you know, normal normal price range that we can expect here as we moved and shift in to the summer months now shifting gears completely the city of Kamloops is looking to spruce up garbage bins on MacArthur Island and it is calling on local artists to start coming up with some ideas for potential designs I caught up earlier today with the city's parks and civic facilities manager Jeff Putnam to discuss this proposal the city of Kamloops is inviting artists to submit a proposal to paint six waste bins on MacArthur Island as part of the city's strategy to combat vandalism on bins. Now, this is a bit of an extension, I guess, right, from, from other projects that have been done in the past. I know I've seen a lot of these painted bins here downtown. Why is this something that the city wants to, uh, you know, put out there for artists to take part in? You know, to be honest, Jeff, this has been one of the more interesting projects that we've done to um, uh, defeat uh, graffiti and vandalism and it started out like you said as a pilot project last year and we um, a lot of people have noticed these colorful um, garbage bins uh, outside of city facilities and uh, have been asking for them uh, so the community really loves the the idea and what I love about it from a, a facilities management perspective is we um, typically it costs us about $300 just to paint the bin the standard yellow or blue colors um, by a contractor and what, what happens is they often get tagged uh, you know or shortly after being repainted mm -hmm. but with the, with this program it's a very similar cost per bin to have a really colorful art uh, mural painted on it and they typically get avoided by taggers, so it actually saves the the uh, the taxpayer uh, money over the longer term, and it benefits the community because it's really cool. Yeah, so I, I do think it's a pretty neat idea, and like I said, I've seen a lot of these downtown, and I think they look really nice compared to just, like you were saying, the standard yellow or blue. These look much nicer, I think, when, when they're all painted and, and a really cool art piece, I think. So what are we looking for here uh, when it comes to Mac Island? I, I understand there's a bit of a theme that you might be looking for from artists here. Yeah, that's right. So we're, the theme uh, for these six bins, that uh, people will, will notice them when the project's finished around the end of July, uh, around the sports center uh, facility. So we're looking for the celebration of sport to celebrate the tournament capital. Yes, we are in a pandemic, but we know uh, and we hope that tournaments will be back soon. And it really fits the theme of uh, the island. So um, I'm really excited to see what the local artists come up with. And I hope we can continue to expand the program.
And how, how do artists go about, you know, trying to be a part of this? Because you're looking for six here, so we're probably hoping to get uh, quite a substantial amount of applications or at least, you know, more than six. So you have some, some options to choose from. How do uh, artists go about applying to be a part of this project? Yeah, so they, they go to the city website. It's camlips.ca forward slash bin art, B-I-N-A-R-T. And on there, there's lots of information on what the expectation is. The applications need to include things like concept drawings that they might have, a budget for their uh, time and materials costs, and a little bit about themselves and uh, their story. And then it will get adjudicated internally by city staff. And then we'll move quite quickly into uh, selecting successful artists. And then hopefully it'll be all completed by end of July. And, and next Wednesday, I guess there's a chance for interested artists to meet on site with some city staff. I guess, what is the intent of that meeting next Wednesday? Just to show them the physical space, because often artists would like to know kind of what, what their canvas is and uh, where it's located. And it'll probably give them some inspiration for what uh, uh, type of mural that they, they want to submit for consideration. And, I mean, when we're looking at these specific bins, I mean, we're talking about six different bins on Mac Island, different artists that are going to be obviously proposing what they want to paint on there. I assume that the city will be looking for a bit of a, uh, you know, unique designs for each of them. You're not hoping to have, you know, six bins that all represent the sport of hockey. You'd probably like to see a bit of a variation. Yeah, and, that, you know, again, that, that would be up to the artist applying, but I agree with you. It would be really cool. As long as they keep to the general theme of celebration of sports, I think it would be neat to represent maybe, like, it, it, an, an idea I had maybe was having um, the sports center actually hosts uh, quite a few different types of sports, so it would be kind of neat to match it to that, or or also um, any, anything, uh, all of the tournaments that we host on the island. There's a whole variety of different uh sports that uh, that are played on the island awesome stuff jeff well i think it's a cool project and i hope we see more of this do you think that you know you mentioned it was a pilot last year and and you're seeing an extension of that here into mac island this year do you see this um you know if it's been successful both successful here so far it's going to expand really uh, beyond this and, and something that maybe the city will look to do on an annual basis yeah we would really would like to continue to grow it um i mean it does actually save uh, like I said earlier, mm -hmm. taxpayers' dollars, and um, the community loves it, so why wouldn't we want to continue to uh, to expand it? Awesome stuff, Jeff. Well, I appreciate you taking the time here, and hopefully you get lots of applications flooding in, and hopefully we get some really cool new artwork down at uh, the Mac, Mac Island. So I think it'll be neat, and appreciate you taking the time. Okay, Jeff. Thanks, buddy. That was Jeff Putnam, Parks and Civic Facilities Manager for the City of Kamloops. And again, those interested in having their artwork on those garbage bins can start the application process by logging on to kamloops.ca slash binart. That's kamloops.ca slash binart. And I mean, if it's going to cost $300 just to paint a garbage bin yellow or blue, well, why not spend around that same amount to help support local artists? And it will also look a heck of a lot nicer. It makes a lot of sense to me. Typically, I would think of a garbage bin, you know, a visible garbage bin being a pretty big eyesore. Well, if you can get some neat designs on there and get them designed by local artists, I think that is a standout idea. And uh, I think a lot of people would support it as well. I, I mentioned earlier there, of course, that we've seen this this uh, type of pilot project here in downtown Kamloops. And it uh, it definitely has uh, spruced up some of those back lanes and stuff where where those bins are visible, uh, they look a lot nicer than just a standard blue or yellow bin or, or with some uh, other graffiti maybe painted on there, as he was saying, as Jeff was saying, you know, they get tagged pretty quickly once they get freshly painted. And, uh, you know, tagging it doesn't always look all that nice. I mean, there's some cool graffiti artists out there, but for the most part, 
I think this is a better way to go. All right, well, let's take a quick break here. And when I come back, I am set to be joined by Tyson Andrew. He is the president of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce, as well as the executive general manager of the Sandman Hotel. So stick around, and I'll be back after this. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being with me here on Tuesday, June the 9th. What's going on right now when it comes to the accommodation sector here in Kamloops? Are things, you know, picking up at all as we're now kind of into week three of phase two? We heard from the provincial health officer, Dr. Bunny Henry, yesterday saying, if you are planning on making any trips or making any plans for trips, you should probably call ahead to either the local chamber of commerce or potentially even the tourism association to see what you can and cannot do before heading out there. But let's just start with the idea of hotels and what's happening right now. I'm joined on the line by the president of the local accommodation association and executive GM of the Sandman Hotel, Tyson Andrew Tyson, how are you doing here this afternoon? Good, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. So I just want to start by getting a sense of kind of what activity is looking like right now. At I'll start with Sandman specifically since, uh, you know, you're the GM there. Um, you know, you mentioned to me that the Sandman has never closed throughout this whole pandemic. It has been open this whole time, but obviously there was a big hit in business. Uh, what are things looking like now as we're into week three of this phase two of the restart plan? Are things starting to pick up at all for you guys? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for most hotels in the city, um, April and the end of March was, was a, a sudden drop-off. You know, uh, we saw declines kind of across our whole industry of upwards of 90% or so when compared to last year's numbers. Um, so pretty pretty steep and pretty severe. Uh, and that was pretty well throughout all of April. Um, as we've moved into May, uh, May was, was a little bit better. We're but still down, I would say, over about 80% across uh, most of the hotels in the city. Um, so, so pretty severe, but we're, we're hopefully um, out of the worst of it and can now start seeing improvements as, uh, as we go into the next phases of the reopening plan. And, and how much different are operations for you guys at this point in time? I was talking with uh, uh, Brian Pilbeam at the Delta Hotel here last week, and he was talking about this 18 pages worth of protocols that they have come up with for their location. You know, is the Sandman dealing with anything like that? Do you guys have some pretty significant changes into how you're operating as a result of COVID-19? Yeah, I think across most of the industry, we're, and many, many other industries, we've, we've all had to adapt it, uh, adapt to uh to you know, new public health guidelines and WorkSafe BC guidelines. Um, so there's there has been a mountain of policies that have come out um, uh, that you know staff are signing off on and get receiving training on and um, receiving you know proper um, PPE and, and things of that nature. Um, so so yeah, it is it is clear across the uh, clear across our chain and across uh, our industry that that we're having to adapt and, and make sure that people feel safe, uh, both while they're working uh, here and, and obviously while uh, while they're visiting and staying with us. Now, I did want to ask a little bit, uh, you know, for you to put on your other hat here, because you're also the president here of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce, and this sort of ties into to both of your positions here. So, like I said off the top, yesterday, Provincial Health Officer Dr. Henry was recommending people contact either local chambers or tourism associations before doing any travel to see, you know, what services are available and what you can expect you can or cannot do when you get to your destination. So, um, you know, just in terms of, on a general sense, because I'm sure you can't get into too much detail yet, but, you know, what kind of 
recommendations could you potentially have for people, both from a from a, a, a accommodation standpoint? Uh, there's obviously accommodations available, so there is a place to come and stay. But is there a whole lot to do? I mean, we're starting to see the business community pick back up. It, you know, as someone who advocates for our local business community, you know, is there a lot to do for people if they were to come into Kamloops for a visit here this summer? Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. There's. Um there's a lot that people can do here. Uh, and, you know, as far as the activities that, that they can't do, I, I'd say they're few and far between. You know, obviously pools um, are still closed and our accommodators uh, likely still have all their pools and fitness facilities and everything like that done. So from an amenity perspective at the hotels, there's, there's not much to do within the, within the, uh, the facilities. But, you know, as you, go, as you go out, I think all of our breweries have, have reopened, um, wineries as well. It was great to see that the uh, the wildlife park has reopened, um, and I think Camels is well known for its outdoor outdoor attractions, right? Hiking, mountain biking, uh, sightseeing, that sort of thing. So uh, I would say that there's there's just as, as much, uh, or not not quite just as much, but we we haven't lost that many activities that people can uh, should be visiting us for. Awesome. Well, I, I just wanted to get you to say that on tape because I think that is an important thing for people to remember when they are, you know, looking to do some travel here in British Columbia, that there is still lots to do here in our own backyard. So don't be uh, scared to be taking a vacation here in the uh, Kamloops area. Um, now, we are into phase three, uh, about three or sorry, into phase two, excuse me, of the restart plan about three weeks in now. Uh, how how are businesses just on a general standpoint feeling? Are they getting more comfortable with the, with the changes and what's being done as they start to reopen their businesses and more and more start to open their doors to customers and clients? Are are business owners starting to be more comfortable with with how this new normal quote unquote works now? Yeah, I've uh, so I was actually calling some some chamber members this morning. Um, and I try and touch base with a few each week and, and engage with a, a larger group through some, some group chats and that sort of thing uh, with different business owners. Uh, and I've, I've, since the restart plan opened and, and hotels, or sorry, restaurants and, uh, and breweries and wineries and that sort of thing have, have opened, I've uh, tried to visit uh, quite a few over the past uh, couple of weeks. And I would say, you know, save for maybe one of the restaurants that I went to out of the five or six, um, there was always a lineup outside, uh, you know, two, two to four to six people uh, waiting to get in, um, and obviously everyone abiding by a reduced occupancy. And people seemed genuinely excited, you know. Um, the people that were working there were, obviously looked excited to be back at work and, and were happy to explain uh, the protocols that they're following. So I think there is a lot of excitement, um, you know, from that standpoint. And then patrons looked genuinely um impressed and seemed, seemed excited about uh, being back out in public and seeing people and be, being able to people watch and enjoy, um, you know, some good, some good food and, and, and beverages. So I think there is a lot of, uh, a lot of excitement with what's been going on and, um, and people are genuinely out there. Happy to be out there and uh, to be getting back to some resemblance of normal. Yeah, I have no doubt about that. I've talked to a lot of people who are very excited to get out on a patio and have a meal or have a drink with some friends. Um, you know, there's still a lot of people I think who are a bit hesitant to start doing some of these activities. But as we move through this restart plan, people will be more comfortable. And um, you know, for those who are ready to go out now, well, less competition to get those services. But uh, yeah, happy to see that businesses here in Kamloops are being supported at this time. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to me, Andrew. 
Thanks, Jeff. Tyson. I don't know why I called you Andrew Q. Last name Andrew Q. So I called you Andrew. I apologize. Tyson, thank you so much. All good. All right. That's Tyson Andrew, president of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce. All right. Well, on that note, it's time for me to wrap things up. So, uh, yeah, I just want to thank all my guests for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you joined me for a short while or a long while, know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at noon.